0: have some very gifted and talented church musicians that we get to be blessed with every week and so I want to say thank you to our choir, to our pianist, to our organist to our our choir director and to to just say how much of a blessing it is to get to hear that every Sunday and then get to get up here and preach. It makes a difference I want to tell you it does so thank you for all that you do. Thank you. Um, we are turning again. To 1 Samuel chapter 17, this is the next to the last in the series, Goliath Must Fall, looking at the giants that need to come down in our lives. I hope that this has been a meaningful and maybe even life-changing series for you, looking at ways uh, that giants can come down, the, the giants of rejection and fear and comfort, and today we look at another one, the giant of anger. Next week will be the last one, in case you're wondering what that one is giant in the series glass must fall is the giant of addiction and you're saying okay well pastor I'm off the hook I don't have any uh, addictions so if you just said that in your mind here is your homework for the upcoming week I want you to give up caffeine sugar salt fat and your cell phone and if you do that all week long and it doesn't bother you a bit you don't even have to come next Sunday just don't even worry about it all right I'll just be here and Andy will be here. It'll be good. Yeah. All right. Uh, First Samuel, Samuel chapter 17. The passage we're looking at today is verses 26 through 31. God, uh, David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? People answered him in the same way, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. His eldest brother, Eliab, heard him talking to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. He said, why have you come down? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down just to see the battle." David said, what have I done now? It was only a question. He turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I still remember uh, starting out in ministry as a young man, and going through a process they call the candidacy process. It's a very—we Methodists are very methodical, as you can imagine. We've got a process for everything, and this is the process. When someone comes forward and says that God has called them to be in the ministry, then the first thing is they're recognized uh, by their local church, and they are brought before uh, a district committee, and you go through a process. Part of that process is is a, a mental screening. You you have to take uh, uh, a long test, a 500 and something question test, mental evaluation test, and uh, I remember taking that test and answering questions like, uh, "Do you hear voices in your head?" And only before my first cup of coffee in the morning. You know, I am kind of poking fun at it a little bit, but the process is very serious because. Really, there are some people who are not mentally where they need to be to be serving as pastor of a church. So you, you write these answers to these questions down, and they they sent the questions to a psychiatrist in Birmingham, and the psychiatrist read through them and evaluated and made notes and all that. And then I had to go down. I was 20 years old, didn't know anything. I was green as grass, but I knew that God was calling me, so I just dove into the process and I drove myself, put on my one blue blazer that I had and my tie, and I drove down to Birmingham to meet before the psychiatrist. I don't remember his name. I remember what he looked like. He was a short, bald guy, and he had those half glasses. And he looked over those glasses at me from behind his desk as he was looking at my stuff. And he, I remember this question he asked me. He said, Mr. Hayes, what do you do with your anger? you to hear carefully how he worded that question. He didn't say, Mr. Hayes, are you angry? He didn't say, Mr. Hayes, do you have a bad temper? He said, what do you do with your anger? Because the presumption is anger is there. The only question is, how are you going to deal with Message today, we have inside of your newsletter an outline, and I will be following this outline. And the outline is actually an acronym of the word anger. If you're the type that likes to take notes and do fill-ins, then that's for you. And inside the newsletter, I also included the answers for the fill-ins in case you miss one. Okay, in case you like to look ahead and go and fill them in, that's fine. However, you want to do it. But anger is going to be our acronym today, and the A for anger stands for this anger is one of the basic human emotions. It just is. About 40 years ago, there was an American psychologist named Paul Ekman, and he identified six basic human emotions, and they are this, anger, disgust, fear, happiness, sadness, and surprise. And I don't know Mr. Ekman was, but I think he's on to something because I think that I'm pretty sure I experienced all six of those emotions last week when Auburn was playing LSU. All six of them. Um, But the point is, anger is just one of those six. It's it's one that's there. And somebody might have told you along the lines that, that anger is a sin, but that ain't so. That's just not true. How we handle anger may lead to a sin, but anger itself is just an emotion that we have. Uh, Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4.26. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Notice he didn't say that anger is a sin. He said, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, don't let it build up inside you. Don't let it just fester there inside you. Deal with it in a timely way. know that there are negative ways that you deal with your anger and that there are good and healthy ways to deal with anger. We're going to take a look at those. The N in our acronym today stands for negatively handling anger, turns it into a giant. It's handling it the wrong way that makes it. We can see this in one of the characters in the David and Goliath story, one of the characters that we sometimes don't pay very much attention to. We get fixated on the nine-foot-tall guy and the little guy with a slingshot, and we forget about this other guy. His name is Eliab, and he's David's older brother. And Eliab is there, and he hears David asking questions to some of the people around, uh, what's going to happen if a guy takes care of this giant? Who does he think he is anyway? What if somebody kills him? And Eliab realizes that David is about to get involved in the fight and, and take on Goliath. And it just makes him seethe with anger. It says in verse 28, he's, his anger is kindled against David. And the New International Version says he burns with anger. And in verse 28, listen listen to how it says it in the message. Eliab, his older brother, heard David fraternizing with the men and lost his temper What are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business, tending that scrawny flock of sheep? I know what you're up to. You come down here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat at a bloody battle. See, this is an example of handling your anger in a negative way. I've got three examples in the outline. There are many more you could could put there. But here are three negative ways that you handle anger. One is, is anger wrongly placed? In other words, you're lashing out, but you're lashing out at the wrong person. That's what Eliab is doing here. He's lashing out at David. He's he's belittling David. He's he's disparaging David's character, but David doesn't deserve any of it. So where is that anger coming from, that he's aiming at the wrong person? You can go back all the way and trace it back to a hurt, a wound that he received, uh, um all the way back when the prophet Samuel came to his house, God told the prophet Samuel to fill his horn up with anointing oil and, and go to Bethlehem because the next king was going to be anointed from the family of a man named Jesse. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house with his anointing oil ready and Jesse starts parading his sons in one at a time, and the very first one that came in was Eliab. He was the oldest, he was the tallest, he was the strongest, he was the leader, he was confident, and there he was, and Samuel thought to himself, surely it's going to be this guy. And God said, no. I know you think it's that guy, but I've rejected him, because man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at. And son after son came in, and each one of them were rejected and Samuel finally says to Jesse, "Is that all you got? you got any more and jesse said well there's there's david he's he's the young one. he's the kid he's he's out there in the pasture taking care of the sheep he's doing what the job that nobody else wants to do and when they brought David in, here's what God said to Samuel, Rise and anoint him for this." Now, we're all ready to move on with the story, okay? But I want us to pause and think for a little bit about Eliab, the oldest, the leader. How do you think that made him feel to see his kid brother? To see his kid brother be anointed as king? that anger that he felt, that that rejection that he felt, that that bitterness, that jealousy became an ember inside of Eliab that was just waiting to burst into flame. And Eliab didn't take care of it. He didn't deal with that hurt. He didn't deal with that anger. And the result was that he lashed out at somebody who didn't even deserve it. I saw something on on Facebook this week that I thought really hit this point well. It says, if you don't heal what hurts you, you will bleed on the people that didn't cut you. So anger wrongly placed is a negative way to handle it. Another way is anger rightly placed but wrongly expressed. Anger wrongly expressed. Remember the yellow flag flying out. If somebody followed me around, they might throw a flag on me wrongly expressing our anger just shooting our mouth off losing our temper saying words that we wish that we could take back but we we can't maybe you've been like the the guy who had a bad habit of of cursing whenever he lost his temper and he would he would lose his temper and blow his top and he would spout off a string of curse words and everything and he didn't think too much about it till he heard his young son parroting those words back to him and he thought "Uh uh-oh I guess I better do something about that. So he went to talk to his pastor. Pastor, I'm having trouble. I I just I just let out a string of kushrows every time I get mad. And the pastor said, well, why don't you try this? Why don't you try, instead of cursing whenever you get mad, why don't you try singing a hymn? The guy said, well, good idea. I just don't know that many hymns. And so he, he said, well, here, take take this hymnal with you and carry it with you everywhere you go this week, and then come back and see me in a week and let me know how it went. And he went back in a week, and the pastor said, well, how are you doing singing hymns instead of cursing? Pretty well, the guy said. Um, well, that's great, the pastor said, but the guy said, well, there's just one thing. Well, what's that? He said, Pastor, I think I'm going to need another hymn book. So if you if you take this with you and you sing the entire hymnal Uh, then maybe this message is is for you today. But you see, even when our anger is rightly placed, even when it's aimed at the right person or the right situation, we often, listen, often express it in the wrong way. We say words that we shouldn't. We cut people up. We belittle them. We assassinate their character on social media. And we think, well, maybe just maybe since I'm not doing it face-to-face, it isn't hurting anybody, but it is. And we can't take it back once it's out there. So anger expressed wrongly. And the third thing is negative way to handle anger. Anger bottled up and not dealt with. And I want to confess to you today, I am an expert in this particular negative way of handling anger. I have I guess a PhD in this by now. You know, if I were to go back and relive the interview with the psychiatrist that I that I had those years ago, and if I were to answer that question again, if he said, "Mr. Hayes, how do you handle your anger?" if I was self-aware enough and if I was honest enough to answer how I really did it, it would have been something like this. Well, You see, sir, what I do is I take my anger and I stuff it down and then I put the lid on and I pretend it's not there because that's actually what I did. And even today, that's kind of my default thing. If you ask my dear wife and she's sitting right over there, you could ask her. She would probably tell you that she's never seen me angered and she might be telling the truth. But I have to tell you, it's not because I'm so laid back and cool. It's because... Usually when I do feel anger, I take it, I stuff it down, I put the lid on, and I pretend it's not there. It might go back to even how when I was growing up, uh, my sister and I were raised, our mom and dad would not tolerate us having a hissy fit. Y'all are from the South. You know what a hissy fit is. They would not tolerate us having a hissy fit. That was unacceptable behavior. I mean, I was not the kid that was laying on the floor kicking the feet. Did you ever watch the Andy Griffith Show where Opie's friend, the new kid in town, is riding his bike on the sidewalk, and, and he when he gets, he lays on the floor and kicks his, and then Opie tries that. Anyway, that's a good one. But that wasn't me. And because I wasn't allowed to have a hissy fit, the way my young brain processed that, now my mom and dad never said this, but the way my young brain heard it was, anger is a no-no. You're not supposed to be angry. So I just would pretend that I I wasn't. I was never really taught how to handle it in a healthy way. And then I went into ministry. And for a while, as a young man going into ministry, I I just kind of bought that line that if you were the preacher, then everything was supposed to be okay. And if everything wasn't okay, you just pretended that it was. Because everybody expected everything to be okay because you're the preacher what a load of baloney that is because the truth is pastor sam's not always okay pastor andy's not always okay you're not always okay so the g in our acronym sense for good and healthy ways of handling anger are constructive and not destructive we know the destructive powers of handling our anger in the wrong ways But you can handle it in a constructive way. Example being, in the story of David and Goliath, there's another guy on that mountain that is really angry. And it's David himself. You see, David heard the giant down in the valley taunting the army and and insulting God. And it just fired him up. He was mad. He said, who does this uncircumcised Philistine think that he is? But now let's see how David channeled his anger in a healthy way, in a constructive way. Two examples I have in your outline. How to handle it in a good and healthy way. One is to fight for a cause that's bigger than you. To make right something that is wrong. That's what David did. David took that rightly placed anger and he fought for a cause that was bigger than him. The freedom of his people. And the fame of his God. And in that way he became partners with God to accomplish the mission that God wanted accomplished all along. To slay the giant. Another healthy and positive way and constructive way that you can handle anger is is to get motivated to reach. Use the anger as motivation to reach a personal goal that you have. You see David had plenty to be ill about as we say in the south. To be ill about. To be angry about. His brother had just belittled him in front of everybody. And King Saul had just got through saying, are you kidding me? You can't fight Goliath. You're just a kid. He's been a warrior since he was a kid, and you're just a kid still. But instead of taking that and turning it in and festering and stewing over, instead of blowing his top, what he did was he used that as fuel to propel him to run into battle and to take on that giant. And to reach his goal. And you and I can do the same thing. Athletes do it all the time. They get into the zone. They use the those emotions and channel them in the right direction to reach a positive goal. And let's say something that's made. think of whatever it is that's making you angry. If it's something around you, let's say you get, you see bottles and cans laying around and, and it just, burns you up and you get mad about it, well, instead of blowing your top or stewing on it, what if you used that anger and it made you fight for a cause that's bigger for yourself and you started a recycling program? That's just an example of something. It could be anything. Or you could use it to help yourself reach a personal goal. What if you stepped on the bathroom scales and you looked down and you saw a number that you didn't like? Matter of fact, it kind of made you mad. But what about instead of pouting about that or, or beating yourself down about it, what if you use that to help you reach your weight loss goals? Use the anger as fuel to help you to do something about it. You see how that can work? The E in our outline stands for even Jesus was angry from time to time. Even Jesus was angry from time to time. And we see that different places in the Bible, more than these two, but I listed two examples. One is from Matthew 21. When Jesus came into the temple, he saw the money changers. He saw everything that was going on there, and he cleared the temple. He flipped over the tables of the money changers. He made a whip of cords, and he drove everybody out, and he said, My Father's house is to be a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves. Now listen. Listen. The Bible doesn't say that Jesus was angry, but we know he was. We know he was. And what he did was he used the anger to make right something that was wrong. Mark chapter 3 is another example where Jesus comes to the synagogue. There's a man there with a withered hand. And the Pharisees are looking at Jesus trying to see if he will break their religious law, by healing somebody on the Sabbath. And they're staring at him, and they're thinking this. And it says in verse 5 that Jesus looked at the Pharisees, and he was angry and grieved at their stubborn hearts. It literally says he was angry. What did he do with the anger? Here's what he did. He told the man with the withered hand, stretch forth your hand. And the man stretched forth his hand, and it was healed. Jesus used his anger to make right something that was wrong. The R in our acronym is remember the five. Remember in the story how David found the five smooth stones to take on the giant with. And in the book, in Louis Giglio's book, Goliath Must Fall, on pages 152 and following, if you're reading the book and you want to go back and read it, he closes with five truths. And he calls them the five smooth stones. And that's what I'm doing today. Remember these things. Now, when we feel ourselves reaching a boiling point, and let me just say, we are all works in progress on this, okay? We, we would like for God to just take care of it like that, but we're all works in progress. But here are ways that God can change our hearts little by little if we remember these five things. One is we remember that we are human and therefore not perfect. If you want a surefire way to walk around in a fit of rage all the time, Then here's what you do. You be a very super picky perfectionist yourself. And you expect everybody else around you to be perfect too. If you do that, I promise you, you're going to be mad all the time. Because that's not the way it is. We're all human. We're not perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. That person that made you mad is not perfect. The second is this. We remember that God has made peace with us. You see, God has always loved us. It's our sin that separates us from God, and God's wrath is stirred, but it's not God mad at us. It's God seeing his creation that he loves being destroyed and robbed of its fruitfulness by the sin, and through Christ, God is reconciled to us. God reconciled himself to us, and he has given us the task of being reconciled to each other. So instead of hitting back, instead of repaying evil for evil, Remember how much God has forgiven us of. The third smooth stone to remember is we remember that vengeance belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. Romans 12, verses 17 through 19. Paul writes these words, Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceable with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And you say, well, that's, that's easy for you to say, Paul. But it might help to remember that the guy who wrote these words is a guy, the Apostle Paul, who had five times been beaten to win an inch of his life. And three times been beaten with rods. And one time was stoned to death and left for dead under a pile of rocks. And his friends came along and pulled him out from under the pile of rocks. He was thrown in jail so many times I can't even count them. And yet he writes these words, if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably. Live peaceably. Let God take care of the avenging. It's his place to do it fourth smooth stone oh and this is so difficult i don't just i don't say this lightly i know how hard it is and it's just this we forgive